My name's Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to 180... Sorry, sorry. You're listening to episode 180 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. We did it. We did it, y'all. 180. <laughs> I like... We just need to pretend like every single episode is like a new sort of landmark that people should be celebrating us yeah. for. Yeah. 181. You can't wait. You love to see it. You know? Yeah. That's that's what we're gonna say on the next one. Yeah, we're gonna be. Oh, can you believe we got here? One eighty one. That's so important. Such an important. I do feel like we 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 gotta be planning for two hundo. Yeah, two hundo is a good one to plan for. We should probably do the same thing we did before, where oh, we get like yeah, the room with the table yeah. and all that. We'll we'll Skype you in. <laughs> I'll I'll just have to come out for two hundred. That's a big deal. Two hundred, yeah, that's a big one. Maybe we can combo it with like a screening that we curate or something. That's true. I wonder if we could if we need to record. You know what we'll do? This is going to drive you fucking nuts. Go but ahead. I'm going to make a schedule to see if we can get two hundred recorded on our birthday on May third. Yeah, or May the fourth. Yeah, May the fourth. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to work, but I'm going to try it and see if it's possible. I believe in us. I mean, we got Cineween coming up. You know, we got it's a bunch true. of like true. times when we we genuinely crunch it. I mean, not like the month of August in the year of our Lord 2023 that we previously had decided to take off y'all, per the plan. Y'all, I'm sorry we forgot to tell you. <laughs> we forgot to announce it that we were taking off for the month of August. This has been planned for poof, a what? year at least, like a so year, long. right? So, like, long. so long, easily. Oh, my God. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was our sabbatical. We were on sabbatical. <laughs> Shabbatical. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, cool. We were on, yeah, we were on Shabbatical. So <laughs> knowing knowing that we were coming back from this month-long Sabbath, <laughs> I decided to take things real easy. You know, me, me and Josh made a plan a while ago that we would, every once in a while, do sort of like, we, we said comfort films, but that's not quite right. Just movies that were chosen not as an adventure but because they were familiar and important to us in their own way right and so we've done one of josh's and i have been meaning to pick one and we kept having interesting things come up and i was thinking about we're coming back from our sabbath our sabbatical Uh our hiatus yeah our hiatus and i believe uh, it's pronounced hiatus no that's fair and uh and I wanted something that was going to be sort of easy to do, that was going to whatever. And it just happens that if you don't count the Anchorman episode, which was very easy, everything <laughs> leading up to the Anchorman episode was hard. Serious. Yeah. Just serious stuff. Just real. I say everything. It's probably only like two tree episodes. But in my brain, <laughs> it felt like a lot of heavier, maybe not heavy, maybe heavy is not the right word, but just movies that were more asking much of us. And then we did that Anchorman yeah. episode, which by the way, friend of the show, Evan Villela, let me know that he doesn't like Anchorman. So I just wanted to publicly let everyone know that Evan sucks <laughs> and that uh, his taste is bad. But you know, y'all knew. Well, what was funny is his I actually- His nickname is Wrong Evan. Wow. You got so close to the microphone on that one. <laughs> I had to make it known oh, for so everybody. Loud. Stop. You're hurting me. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, okay. When he told me this, I actually was very nice about it because I, I actually, as much as on the show, sometimes I pretend like when I disagree with someone's taste, I think they're a monster. I don't actually think that's true. And so I was like, oh, Evan, that's okay, whatever. But as we were discussing this, Josh, I was like, okay, well, what kind of comedies do you like? 
And he could only name like two comedic films he enjoyed. And I thought, Evan, maybe Anchorman isn't the problem. Maybe the problem is you, my man. I mean, dude, when we did his episode, he picked Threads and the (laughs) day after. It's not like our man's Evan is a font of comedic bliss. He named Stripes. I think he likes Stripes. I think that might have been the only comedic film he mentioned that he really likes. I think he likes Dirty Work. I think that's on the list. Wow. Stripes and Dirty Work. That's a good, that's a good comedic, uh, that'd be a good comedic film festival, I guess. I don't know what I'm talking about. I guess. Anyways, point is, I haven't even said it yet. We're doing some kind of wonderful. I got to give respect to our friends who've been on them, who themselves have been on a very long hiatus. Our friends over at uh, the Broad Street Breakdown who took a nine-month hiatus between new episodes. Hey, man. Got to do what you got to do, bro. It happens. It happens. No, anyone who has actually listened to that show knows they just record now when they have time. So they they came back and they actually did two episodes in a row, which I could not believe that they even pulled that off. And on one of the episodes, one of the questions was, which do you prefer, Pretty in Pink or Some Kind of Wonderful? And everybody on the show picked Some Kind of Wonderful over Pretty in Pink. And uh, I think they were all surprised that they were all on the same page about that. They all expected someone else to prick pretty, prick pretty in pink. And I think that's especially funny because people who are, you know, not deeply, but somewhat involved in the lore of Mr. John Hughes will tell you some kind of wonderful only exists because John Hughes didn't get the ending he wanted for pretty in pink. Mm. We'll get into it. But uh, uh, as a bit of a preview there, that's, that's what happened is that the studio decided how Pretty in Pink was going to end, and he did not like the ending of Pretty in Pink, and so that's why he made some kind of wonderful. And uh, Well, he didn't direct it, though, right? Like, right, but it's his script, he wrote and it. he's yeah. a producer on it. It's, I watched uh, not a lot of stuff, but I watched a couple of special features. Even the director refers to this as a John Hughes movie. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm. At that point, it was a... A John Hughes film was almost a genre at that point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, you know, th- now he did direct Pretty in Pink. Is that correct? Or is it, did he just write the script? Uh, I don't think he directed Pretty in Pink either. Oh, uh, okay. Well, let's to the Hall of Records with you. Hold on now. For those people who don't remember, uh, uh, Howard Deutsch. Also the, the same dude who directed Some Kind of Wonderful, right? Oh, so he did both. So, yeah. That's funny. He got the same guy then to complete his, his to round fantasy. it out. Yeah, yeah, to finish his story. Yeah, because he just wasn't happy. He, you know, anyone who's seen some kind of wonderful knows the differences uh, there. But we'll get into more of that later. I don't want to spoil the whole discussion. So uh, they brought it up and they talked about it, and I was reminded how much I like that. And I had been thinking, like, okay, what do I want to do as a movie to talk about that's going to be easy? That's a bit of a comfort movie for me. And it's really some kind of wonderful, which is really, I think, my favorite John Hughes-related movie. Really? Yeah, I think that might be true. At least of the more classically his vibe, his teen movies, which, by the way, this is the only one of those movies he did that isn't set in Chicago, so that might be part of the appeal for me. Mm, uh, okay. But, uh, but we'll get into how we feel about the movie later. Uh, but that's that's why I chose it. So we're talking about some kind of wonderful. Before that, of course, we want to thank some people, Josh. Who do we want to thank first? First, we'd like to thank our good friend Chris Reject and the merry band of misfits 
at xlvacx.com, the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. If you need something screen printed, our man is there to do it for you. Make sure you let him know that Cinepunk sent you. Uh, I specifically want to say nice things about him because he was recently on Horror Business where I said uh, almost exclusively mean things about him. But that's because he was there to uh, be, <laughs> a, pain in, be, a, be yeah. a pain in my butt. And he is so antagonistic when he wants to be. But it was still a really good episode. So that should be out by now. By the time you're hearing this, the new Harvest should be out. So please give it a listen, share it with your friends, all that stuff. And of course, uh, we love you, Chris. Oh, you know what we forgot? Before Chris, we usually think our supporters on Patreon head to patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. There's a, a hopefully going to be new episodes of Lunch with Liam coming soon. <laughs> Other stuff is supposed to go up soon. Sorry we've been behind on stuff, but we're going to have New stuff for you as soon as we can. In the meantime, know that we love you and check out patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. Of course, we also want to thank our friend uh, Aaron Dahlbeck at EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Big ups to him uh, playing recently with Bane. Good for them. Uh, Essex Coffee Roasters offers high quality uh, coffee beans roasted to order. high quality tea, awesome apparel, and really is a company um, invested in demystifying good coffee. So if you have questions about the coffee you're ordering, what the differences are between different varieties of coffee, how to brew that coffee in a way to get the best effect at home, Aaron is available to help you out and really make this whole process easier. Go ahead and uh, enter in the code CINEPUNKS, that's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, at checkout to get 10% off your order. Uh, oh, and of course, this episode is edited and uh, you know made to sound nice by our buddy Sharky over at mechanicalsharkmedia.com. And what else? Oh, yeah, and check out my company, roughcutfanclub.com, if you like cool t-shirts. <laughs> Movie t-shirts for punks. Yes, thank you. Uh, before we get into our regular feature, I just really quick want to say, offer condolences to everyone who uh, is friends with uh, Paco. Did you know Paco Laborde? I did. Why did I know him? Uh, he went to like Exume stuff. He was a Delco guy. He actually... Did I meet him at ex- at uh, Broad Street Ministry? No, I don't think so. I don't think he was ever there. But uh, oh. but he was like... Uh, he was an old Delco dude. He was in uh, Burdan's first band. Oh, and, uh No, no, no. Burdan had a band way before that when they were much younger. Uh, he, but he's from Delco. He was good friends with Bruce. Uh, and My Bruce? No, uh, sorry, uh, BJ. Oh, Bruce yeah. has he? Yeah, he was good friends with BJ. He's like that kind of Delco dude. I would see him at shows sometimes. I more saw him. He bartended at a number of places where he would occasionally serve food as well, and that's how I first got to know him. And then he came to a lot of exhumed stuff, like Carathon stuff. So, and he's just a guy I kept up with with on social media. We have a lot of mutual friends. He passed away just a couple days ago, very oh, no. suddenly, uh, from a, had a seizure. I don't even know. I couldn't even say from a seizure. I don't even know what the cause is. I'm sure people who, I don't know if there's news on that yet. I haven't seen anything. I just know that while I only knew him casually, he was very supportive of Cinepunks and was always really nice to me and was just the sort of guy that like I didn't know his life, but every time I saw him, we talked about movies and music and life and was just a friendly face. And I know to people like BJ and like Burdan and a few other folks that we're friends with, he was kind of an important figure in their lives. So 
you know, I'm just, I just want to offer condolences to all those folks. I'll be, I'm sad too, but I know he was really important to a lot of people that I know more than I realized. And also some people knew his art. Uh, he was, uh, as above, so below that crazy face sticker that you saw around Philly all over the place. Right. That right, was, right. that was him. That was him. And I knew a few people who knew him through his art, like only knew him through his art, had never met him in real life. So anyways, I, he's going to be missed, uh, you know, uh, very much thinking about his family, his friends and everyone who loved him. And I just want to put that out there. And it hit me kind of hard. And like I said, I only knew him casually, but he was a real joy, like a real joy mm-hmm. to know. And, you know, I understand from people who know him longer, he was also a bit of a rebel. I'm sure people had their own kind of fun sort of uh, uh, stories about him being kind of like a crazy guy, but I just knew him as a nice dude and and I really appreciate him. So anyways, sad about it, but you know, I, I hope people are able to support each other and love each other. It's, it's one of those things that's that, you know, it's one of those times when you need people, when you lose someone unexpectedly. So yeah. Uh, anyway, it's kind of hard to be silly right now after that, <laughs> but we are going to move into whacking on track. Whacking on track. <laughs> Josh, do you want to go first? You want me to go first? It's been uh, you, a you while. Go first. I know after sabbatical, I want to ease myself in. You go first. Well, as we said, it's been a while, so I can go all the way back to, uh, the beginning of August when I was home in philadelphia josh i came back to philly and i went to a show with somebody who did i go with josh with sean benesign and your boy joey bayonne yep and grace grace was there too oh yeah grace yep yeah yeah. anyway so we went to go see homefront i gotta say um i had a lot of fun at the show it was at photo club which i've never been to big shout out to jim who books that place not exclusively but it's like the major guy with that place He's just a good dude. I really like Delco motherfuckers. I like some of the other bands he's been in. I think he was in Loose Nukes too, some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've um, admired that venue from afar because they book a lot of cool shit. So it was great to finally go check it out. I got to say, it really is in the asshole of nowhere. Just the fucking, like, <laughs> it's like, in, if, if you want to ride a bike around the city, you can't get to this venue, it feels like. You know what I mean? Like, it's just. I mean, it's just north on Frankfurt. So, you know, it's. It's, it's it's far enough north that if part of his crowd is like 19-year-old Temple students, and I don't know that he's getting a lot of those folks to, at the shows, uh-huh. I feel like it's more people who have a car yeah, and who know how to get around the city pretty, pretty good. Yeah, that's true. I've taken the bus there a couple times. It's yeah, cool. I like it. I think it's a cool venue. But, well, but here's the thing, Josh. You can't compare your, your ease and comfort in Cash Money Kenzo yeah. To some kid who just moved to the city from the suburbs, yeah, they might school. not yeah, feel yeah, yeah. totally. Now, if you're driving in from outside the city, it doesn't really matter because you're driving, right? Yeah. It's 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 very much an easy driving venue. Or if you're walking, like some of our friends who don't live that far from there. But I'm just saying, for younger kids who are still getting used to the city, which is part yeah. of the audience for weird punk shows, that's a hard venue to get to. You know, it's a hard, yeah, it's a hard venue. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Regardless, we had a fucking great time. I had a great time. I tweaked uh, my back during Homefront. <laughs> you were very much in the mix. I was in the mix for the first like five songs. And then I went, it is too goddamn hot in this room. <laughs> and I went to the edge with our, our good friend, Grace Kim, came out to that area too. And we watched from <laughs> outside of the ring of people because I could not 
deal with all those people up in my space. Yeah, I got stage dove upon and aggravated an earlier jujitsu injury that I had in my backs. Oh, man. <laughs> I'll tell you what. My trip home was a little bit whack, quite honestly. Uh, between my mom, you know, people might remember this if they follow me on social media, but uh, my mom has a heart condition that she needs to get work done on. And she sort of out of nowhere had to go get this uh, catheterization to get the heart evaluated. And we didn't know that was going to happen. And it, you know, the trip suddenly got serious. And so like, that was hard. And then just like me and my mom don't always get along super well anyway. So that was a bit tense. And being there with Maeve, like the thing about grandparents is they want to see your kids. But they don't necessarily know all of the like, patterns that you've established to maintain order in the life of your child so sometimes they are unintentionally chaos agents like they want to be <laughs> supportive but then they just also want to do their own thing because like my mom is older my stepdad is even older than that when you're like 80 which is my stepdad's age you don't like go to bed at a normal time or eat more than one meal a day or <laughs> keep a regular schedule so they just want to live like chaotic old people and it's like, this girl is six years old. She needs a pattern. <laughs> like, multiple times. And I'd be like, okay, what are we doing for lunch? They'd be like, what? And I'm like, she has to eat She has to eat three meals a day, y'all. Like, that's how this works. <laughs> it's a growing child. They don't, they just, that's just not how they live. So there was a lot of, like, negotiating with that. So one of the highlights was getting to go to that show with you and some of our other friends. And I hadn't seen Schism, you know, Sean Benesign in a while. Yeah. Hadn't seen Grace in a while, so that was great. Saw some other friends there. Met some of your friends who I didn't know before that. So, I don't know. It was a great time. It was a great, great, great time. Yeah, man. Justin was there. That was a great night. Yeah, I got to say, the one difference between this show and some of the other shows, right? I didn't like all the bands opening for Homefront. I got to be honest. I got to say, it's a weird pull to see who's going to open for that band. Yeah, 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 yeah. But even weirder, I'm seeing them on Friday. Mm-hmm. With Alkali Trio in Montclair, New Jersey. That is random. With Ralph. <laughs> and oh, yeah. the funny thing is that Ralph hates Alkali Trio, so we're leaving before Alkali Trio go on. Well, I mean, uh, that's like coming up. Someone was trying to get me to go. There's a, there's a Riot Fest after show. That's nothing in high viz. And I'm, like, and I'm like, yo, I'm not really a nothing fan. Like, they're fine, yeah, but I'm not a big fan. And he, that's what he said. He's like, oh, we're just going for high viz. And I'm like, okay. Well, how much does it cost and when does it start? And the combo of cost and doors at 10. Ooh, I was like, it's nah, dog, yeah. I'm good. Like, I just can't roll. I can't lie, that. though. The last time I was at Riot Fest, we did the after party for Lucero. We did sure, the after sure, party sure. for Avail. And those are amazing times. You love that Lucero. That's that's, that's And I love that too. Avail, boy. Woo. I would do Avail. I would do the Avail. I might do the Avail. I, I say I would do it. In the moment, I might give up. I might lose courage, honestly, <laughs> just because it's it's late and I'm not. Yeah, I'm no longer a late night person. So anyways, it was a good time. I'll keep it moving here. I don't want to get over too much. Uh, I also with my parents and my daughter went to see Barbie again. Nice. Uh, no one's talking about Barbie anymore, so I won't belabor the point. I will say I am very much in the camp of. You know, the movie wasn't written and directed by Bell Hooks, so if you went in looking for. <laughs> a perfect, you know, uh, fourth wave feminism deconstruction of capitalism. That's not what this fucking movie is. It's just a movie about a toy 
that is way too good for a movie about it. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. you just yeah. can't take away from the fact that this could have sucked. In fact, oh, this will be a great transition. Barbie is very similar to the next movie we want to talk about, which is the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ah, lovely. And people don't see the connection, but let me make it for you. I said this before. I'm just going to say it again. There are a million Barbie properties. There are more Barbie properties than you think there are. Movies, TV shows, comic books, novels, video games. You know this because you're the father of a daughter child. Yeah, right? and, and since then, people have talked about them. I've heard people, I didn't know the video games existed, but I've heard people talk about them. There's so many Barbie things. The fact that one of them finally doesn't suck is maybe not enough. If you're against it, be against it. That's okay. But I don't think people should discount the fact that finally there's a Barbie thing that isn't actual bullshit. And not only that, it's fun and good and whatever. That's the thing with this new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, man. I think the majority of Ninja Turtles stuff is actually bad. Yeah. That's taking into account that I still love the first movie. Taking into account that I have read not a lot of, but a chunk of the comic books, thought they were pretty fun, stupid, but fun. And even like one of the reboot TV shows. Whoa. Even taking that into account, most Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle things are bad. The sequel movies from the original movies are bad. The remake movies are bad. A lot of the cartoon movies aren't bad because people don't know. There's been a few of these cartoon movies. They just didn't go to theaters. They were on like various cable channels and shit. Uh, they're not all bad. Some of them are fine, but they're not good. Mm. So again, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is even more of like a live media property than Barbie because Barbie, the money's really into toys and people don't really care about the hundreds of movies. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, there's toys, but people are more familiar with the, with the media. Yeah. The fact that here we are with who knows what movie this would be if you actually numbered them. Seven, maybe eight. Nine? Who knows? It's a fucking good movie, man. Did you see this movie? What did you think? Fuck of this yeah, movie? I loved it. It's Seth Rogen, man. I mean, it's like, crazy that it's so good, though, right? It's like, because so fun. There is no other, in my mind, Ninja Turtle movie where the turtles feel like actual teenagers, right? Uh-huh. And people keep bringing up that the, it's because they're voiced by kids. It's not just because they're voiced by kids, guys. It's the script, and yeah. it's the fact that the kids were given freedom to like alter their lines so it felt like stuff they would say, right? Like. Yes, it's kids, but you could have kids as the turtles and it wouldn't feel like kids. There's something more than just that they are actually played by teenagers, right? Yeah. It's also the humor. Like, so much of the humor in this movie works more than the humor in other Ninja Turtles properties, right? Yeah. Because it, like, doesn't delve deeply into the camp of it all. Mm-hmm. It tells mm-hmm. actual jokes, you know what I mean? Yes. Not just, like, yes. isn't it funny that that's what I'm saying? And the thing is, also, uh, I mean, this movie de asianifies d you know even though it's like ninja turtles you know what i mean whatever but like you have jackie chan playing splinter but he's not like fucking hitting gongs and like doing katas in the sewers you know what i mean like yes it's pretty great honestly i really like the idea that one of the ways they learned to fight was watching jackie chan movies yeah i thought that was a fun little detail there's a lot of fun little details and i think they do a good job with making it fun having it make sense, especially with the idea that all the mutants are just stronger than humans because they're mutants. So one of the reasons the Ninja Turtles can beat up random criminals is because they're just fucking mutants, right? Like all the mutants are strong. Uh, I just think it it just worked because it felt like there were actual characters and not to the extent that it's like emotionally, like that's the weird thing about Barbie, right? Is that it also is emotionally whatever. Ninja Turtles isn't really, you know, 
there's no depth there per se. I, well, I did get a little emotional towards the end, but still, <laughs> it's not like it's not like that. It's not that they made it serious, but it is like I felt like they spent time on these characters should be interesting and fun, and these jokes should be funny and funny for all ages. I took Maeve to see this movie, and she, I mean, it was her idea to go, but she's not like the hugest Ninja Turtles fan. She's just like a medium Ninja Turtles fan. She mm. fucking lost it. She loved it. Top to bottom, thought it was great. Awesome. And I, I was so amazed that she was so about, about it. That's so uh, good. Okay, let me run through. I got a couple more things that I want to get, because I know you probably got a, a number of things to talk about. Uh, a couple more uh, media things, and then one more show I want to mention. Uh, watched a show, speaking of Seth Rogen, that Seth Rogen is on called Platonic. Have you seen this show? I have not. It's Seth Rogen and... Her name escapes me, but she's in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. She's Australian, maybe? Rose Byrne? Yes. Seth Rogen, Rose Byrne. They're old friends from college who grew apart when they, uh, basically, when Seth Rogen gets married because Rose Byrne didn't like his wife. And he gets divorced, and they kind of randomly reconnect. And it's about their friendship, hence the name of the show, Platonic, right? Um. It's great because it's not about them hooking up or like finding out they're in love or some bullshit like that. Like it's very much just about their friendship. But as you know, a friendship can be just as distracting and just as both enlivening and destructive as a as an affair would be, right? Like mm. they don't have to be sexually attracted to each other for them to be chaos agents in each other's lives, right? Right. And the show is very much like that. Even though other people think like, oh, maybe there's something going on there. Uh, as an audience, you know, as someone watching it, I never felt that way. I was never going, oh, are they going to hook up? It's like, no way. They're not going to hook up. That's not what this is about. This is about she has let go of her joy. She's become so entrenched in being an adult that she doesn't know how to have fun anymore. And Seth Rogen has let himself become the caricature of a man who refuses to break, to grow up. Right. And then they reconnect. And he needs to figure out how to be a fucking adult. And she needs to figure out how to have fun again. And they just keep pushing each other. And it's in some ways very endearing. And in some ways also very annoying the way they, they treat each other. And it's perfect. It's a, it's a great show. It sucked me in. I found it really funny. A little bit emotional, but not overly so. The jokes really landed. It had a great performance from Guy Branham, who you know I love. Oh, I love Guy Branham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's. I cannot recommend it enough. Apple TV Plus show, Platonic. Check it out. Um, two other movies I just want to mention quickly. I finally caught up with The Blackening. Ah, it's great. It was great. I really. I saw a lot of people who hated it, or at least thought it was boring. I thought it was funnier than not funny. I don't know. I mean, it's not. It didn't redefine cinema. No. But it, it was funny, and the horror elements worked enough. You know, it, it didn't need to be actually scary for me, and it wasn't scary, but all the horror didn't feel like, a, it, it didn't feel like just a spoof, right? Mm. Sometimes a horror movie that's a comedy can suck because it doesn't take the horror seriously at all. This movie's more funny than it is a horror movie, but it doesn't play games with the horror, and I like no. that. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. I thought it was a good time. And then I watched a little movie called Miguel Wants to Fight. You know about this? I do not. It's a, one of these like Hulu produced movies. It's like on Hulu. I didn't watch it on Hulu, but that's where it is. It's a little short. 
it almost feels like because it's a Hulu movie that it's even cut for like commercials and shit. I watched it without commercials. So I don't know if, if it will feel that way to people who maybe do watch it on Hulu, if there's like commercial breaks or something, it's even like only an hour and 15 minutes, which feels a little less, you know, like 75 minutes is like not what most people are used to for the length of a movie. For a, yeah. Feature length movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that shit though. I, I love it's very, it's very short. I, I kind of want to say the negative stuff first, which is like, it's, it's corny. It's, it's a bit on the cornball side. It's a bit sentimental. Um, it, the humor is very silly. It's definitely not a very serious movie. It has like almost no edge to it. Mm. And some people will be, be a little off put that something this corny, silly, kind of like very like almost after school, especially is set in the poor part of Syracuse with four friends of color who spend a lot of their time fighting. And in fact, that's what the movie's about. Four friends, they just get in fights. And they don't think it's a big deal. And then one day they realize that one of their friends, Miguel, who, by the way, his dad is a boxing instructor locally huh. in their shitty you know, part of Syracuse. Uh, Miguel doesn't fight. When they get in fights as a group, he just avoids it altogether. And he's actually never been in a fight. And the movie is uh, about how Miguel learns he's going to move. And rather than tell his friends and deal with the disappointment that like he's moving away from them, he decides they need a bonding thing, which is he's going to get in a fight and they're going to help him. Huh. Uh, some skeptical whites who are very skeptical of diversity will be bummed that there is a Filipino kid, <laughs> a, a Latinx kid who I think is specifically Mexican or maybe Mexican and Dominican, uh, a kid who they never say, but might be Indian and an African-American girl. It's very much like we picked four diverse friends to be friends with each other. Uh, but those people are stupid and fuck them. Like, who cares? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yes, yeah. this, this, could, as, this could have been a movie about four white kids who are friends. True. That, that's what it could have been. But it's not. And honestly, if you really are paying attention, it also couldn't have been like the way that, you know, the boxing club exists in their neighborhood, the ways that they interact with other kids, the way that the movie never says like, Hey, they don't get along with the rich kids, but you could tell that they don't get along with the rich kids. There's even a point where he tries to pick a fight with a kid and they're like, why would you pick a fight with this guy? Like, he seems okay. And then he says something when he to him and they go, oh, right. He's racist. Okay. Yeah, this is fine. Because <laughs> he, just, he just says mean stuff to this guy, right? He just wants to start a fight. So he says mean stuff to this guy. And this guy could say anything he wants. And he immediately goes to, oh, did you come to this country? And all the dude's friends go, oh, okay. He's racist. Okay. <laughs> this is fine then. It's so good. Because before that, they're like, why? Why? He seems like, a, why would you pick a fight with this? He's just a random white kid. Like, what are you doing? And then they're like, oh, okay. Never mind. This is cool. <laughs> Anyways, it's, it is, I want, there, I, I would love to tell y'all in some ways, because I am a little embarrassed to be endorsing it, that actually it's too stupid and too corny for you to watch. I fucking loved it. I thought it was fun and funny. Part of the plot is that Miguel is obsessed with action movies. And so every time he imagines himself in a fight, he's imagining himself in like a Bruce Lee movie or in uh, a Jackie Chan movie or as one punch man. Like he's just obsessed with fighting part of it because his dad is like a real ass boxer and he's not, you know, his dad runs a boxing gym. All his friends 
fight at the gym, Miguel cleans up the towels, right? Mm. It's like that kind of vibe where like he just wants to be something that maybe he's not. And and really the movie is obviously going to be about friendship. And again, that's going to bum some people out. But friendship in a place where people are uh, making ridiculous dick jokes and getting in fights, it just felt like a little bit kind of honestly kind of familiar. I mean, yeah. It, 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 if Miguel had the same edge, but was actually living in a place that was slightly nicer than Syracuse, it would have felt exactly like my childhood, right? Because <laughs> even though my town was way nicer than fucking Syracuse, again, I'm not trying to pick on Syracuse, but you guys know it's it's one of those uh, towns that used to have money and now doesn't. I mean, that's just the reality of a lot of places. So no judgment on Syracuse as a whole, but you know, it's a little rough compared to other places. Collingswood was fucking, well, it wasn't that nice when I was a kid. But it was too nice for there to be like multiple stabbings in my high school and shit like that, right? Like yeah. that shouldn't have been my childhood. I should have been living a slightly more bougie childhood. And yet Collingswood, it's like, yeah, so and so smoked crack in the bathroom. It's like, why? <laughs> like that or guy how is the other part. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't I won't get into my friend who got shot in a bad crack deal when I was a senior. <laughs> okay, that's that's it. Oh yeah. I also went to a show real quick. I went to see Combust and Wreckage and it was great. Oof. Uh locals, matter of fact, opened. They were also great. Uh yeah. If you haven't checked out Wreckage and you like classic hardcore, check it out. Okay, that's it for me. Go ahead, Josh. All right. So for me, it's been the hiatus has been a very interesting time. Um, it began with a little show that me and the cross keys played on a boat. Oh, that's fun. Have I had a chance to tell you about that? No, I don't know anything. Mostly everything that happened after I left Philly, we have not talked about. Okay. Well, I took the day off and cross keys were playing on uh, a rocks off cruise, which is a boat that goes around the statue of Liberty. That's weird. And we were playing with uh with Dave Hawes and the Mermaid, who's who are our friends, you know. So it was just us and them. But instead of like load in was at, like four at one part of the city, and then it was gonna float over to another part where like the people would board at like seven p.m. Like there's like a whole thing. So instead of trying to figure out like how to get there by four p.m., I was like, yo, I'm gonna get an early ticket on a train and just have a New York day by myself. And I did, Liam. I had a New York day all on my own. Like I got out at, at um at Penn Station at uh Madison Square Garden, and then I just kind of walked for a bunch. Like my I I asked homies up in that area. Like Grace is up there, and my friend Jess. Big up to Jess. I was like, Yo, I gotta find a place to get like breakfast. And Jess is like, Oh, why don't you find this place? And so I walked like for I walked a lot. I walked up a total of like twelve miles that day. Wow! But um, it was dope though. Like you know, it was a sunny day. It wasn't that hot. And like I end up like I, I had this plan. Since I was playing on a boat, I wanted to get a captain's hat. So my plan was to take the stage wearing the captain's hat and then in dramatic fashion throw it to the writhing crowd as we begin to conjure music. Sure. Was my plan, but I couldn't find a. Uh, I I walked all the way to Canal Street, like I couldn't find a hat like that, you know. So um, I had breakfast, and then I went to uh, Film Forum, New York City, and I saw the 4K restoration of a 1968 movie by Jean Luc Godard called Contempt, which is making the rounds in a bunch of art house theaters now. But um, that was the 12 o'clock screening, and I was there with like two other nerds. And that movie is incredible. Have you seen this movie? 
No. Wait, say it again. Contempt by Jean-Luc Godard. No, it's like one of the ones. Not okay. I don't want to say one of the few because there's a bunch we haven't seen, but it's one of the ones that's been on my to watch list. And I honestly was like, I'm going to wait to cover it on the show. And now that I know that you've watched it, I'm just going to try to watch it sometime. It's so good. I mean, it's Brigitte Bardot. You know what I mean? Like, and Fritz Lang is in the movie. <laughs> okay. And Jack Palance, like a young Jack Palance is in the movie. Dude, it's a wild flick for sure. I mean, like it, there's definitely problematic bits. And again, it happens in the sixties, but it's just like, there's a bunch of stuff in there that you let watching it through a 2023 lens, just the dynamics between uh, Brigitte Bardot and her beau, her, um, her, uh, her partner in the movie who's played by Michel Piccoli. Uh, his name is Paul. Like it's, oh man, it's like just kind of hard to watch some of it. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. overall it's a very interesting and um, it's a, it's an interesting and insightful movie on movies. Sure. Right. It's, it was super fun. The 4k restoration is gorgeous. And again, a young Brigitte Bardot and a young Jack Pounce in this movie. Like it, it was truly like, wow, a sight to behold. You know what I mean? Like it was awesome. Plus I was at film forum in New York. That was Melani's suggestion. She was like, Oh, they have movies playing at film forum. You should go there. And I was like, Oh man. Yeah. I used to do that. So, uh, it was, it was a, it was a great time. It was super fun. Like we saw a Tashira Mifune movie there. Um, when they were doing the retrospective on his career with Kurosawa. And it, I love that theater. Have you ever been there in New York City Film Forum? I have, actually. There's a lot of theaters in New York that I have not been to that, are, that I really want to go. Yeah. Uh, I did make it to Film Forum for one thing, but I forget what it was. Uh, basically, when I lived in Easton, I went to some stuff in New York just because even though it was a, a, still a far drive, it felt closer than when I was in the Philly area. Mm, got it yeah 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 super fun movie um i mean interesting time and it's a cool theater um so that was cool and then like afterwards i met everyone at the pier and we got on the boat and like we had to sound check on the boat and everything and you know man you don't think that a boat that goes around the statue of liberty is going to be that choppy you're not at the sea oh you know what I mean? but yeah it is isn't it Yo, dead straight up. I was snorting rails of Dramamine trying to keep everything in the inside of my body in the inside. And uh, yeah, there was a moment when uh, I jumped and smashed myself in the face of my own microphone like I was mad at me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't know. Did not know. Uh, I'm glad that we played on the boat and Haas and the Mermaid were great, but I never want to do that again if I can help it. Yeah. Unless oh, it's like, oh. oh, man, we really need you to play on this boat, Josh. Like, Sigur Ross yeah. is playing and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but, uh, I just remember the first time I went to the film forum was, I told you this story, I think, me and Sean Dennis went up to go to one of those last CBGB shows before they sold CBGBs, and we couldn't get in. Siv himself told us to fuck off because they weren't letting any more people in. And so we went and got food, and then we went to go see American Hardcore at the film forum. Incredible. Such a random day. Especially because the place where we went was this pizza place, uh, Una Pizza Napolitana, where there was usually like a big line to get in and we just randomly walked up and there was no line. And we had this incredibly expensive, but very delicious pizza. And (laughs) I remember me and Sean were just like, this is the weirdest, but coolest day ever. That's so awesome, man. So good. 
But yeah, so I don't know. So the, so the New York City show was was dope. And then like the next day we played at, at a skate park here in Ambler. And uh, it was weird because um, we were standing on a ramp. Yeah, that's weird. And as a singer, you know, I'm the moving around guy. And I knew that if I took the wrong step, I'd go sliding down into the into the watching crowd. You know what I mean? And it's like, dude, you fall off of a ramp in your 20s and you'll probably bounce a couple times and be OK. But you do that shit when you're this close to the bad side of 50. You're calling out for at least two weeks. You know what I'm saying? So I it was, it was hot and it was fun, though. And then um, I had this wild weekend where I went to. So that was like we went to Brooklyn. Right. That's where we had to land to go play this boat show. And um, the week after that, I was back in Brooklyn on a Friday night to see Homefront. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was it was Homefront and Violent Way and um, Crown Court from London. And it was pretty cool. It was I mean, Homefront were incredible. It was so much fun. And that was the weekend that you were here. So I stayed in Brooklyn. I went with uh, my friend Shay of the band Revelators and we watched Homefront and then we came and we got like dinner <laughs> and then we came home and I did go home till like three in the morning, had to be at work by nine. So I slept for like four hours, something like that. Got to work on time, worked until two. And then I went to This Is Hardcore. And uh, I met up with Grace there and hung out with, like, the usual gang. You know, like, everybody was hanging. I only saw one band for all of This Is Hardcore, and that would be uh, Bulldoze. Crazy. Yeah, with Aaron Reza. So, I don't know. And we did that. And then um, right before GB went on, I dipped to meet you, Sean Benesign, and Grace and Justin at the photo club for that night's Homefront show. Which, again, I love Homefront, but I tweaked my back and was like, God damn it, when did these mosh pits decide to get so rowdy? And then um, it was fine, though. And then the next day, uh, so I left that show, got home at like one. And then the next day, uh, we went to Monster Mania. And I met a little dude who uh, we had known previously named Mr. Lewis Diamond Phillips. And uh, I can't he, believe, by the way, that I missed you at Monster Mania. What a yeah. That tracks, but you know, it's cool. I'm, you know, I'm like a ninja, Liam. I'm, I'm, I hide in the shadows. So, uh, but it was cool though, because he was like, <laughs> am I still getting a t shirt? I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I got you, dog. And he was like, do you still have the, uh, my contacts at Fox or whatever? And I was like, yeah. And he said to email them and I could find out where to send the shirt. So then I did that. And then after Monster Mania, we left and Melani got a picture with, uh, Phil, with, um, Hellboy. What's his name? Um, uh, shit it's escaping my it's funny because like he had a bunch of shirts all, or he had a bunch of pictures too you know what i mean yeah and uh ron perlman yes and uh he had a picture from city of lost children and i was like Perfect. oh wow that's so cool and uh we also met alex winter <laughs> pretty rad that's um pretty good. yeah 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 so that happened and then i left there and then uh went back to this is hardcore and then we left that night to go see the flaming lips because they were doing Yoshimi versus the Pink Robots from front to back. And then they they had an intermission and then they played another set of just the hits. But me and Melani only stayed for uh, Yoshimi because that was a record that came out when we met, when we worked at Tower together. So we both knew that record like front to back pretty well, you know. And that was a good time. Um, Flaming Lips are fun live. Like that's like maybe the second or third time that I've seen them. And um, it was cool. And then the next weekend, I end up in Brooklyn again on Friday to go to the King's Theater to see a little band called Siguros as they were touring on their new record, Ada, I think it's called. And it was them and a 41-piece orchestra in the King's Theater on Flatbush Ave in Brooklyn. Crazy. And it was 
incredible. I was stone cold sober, Liam. I didn't, not one piece of drugs, nothing, no alcohol. And it was one of the more transcendent shows that I've ever seen. And it's funny, too, because a friend of the show, uh, Paul, who plays in the band Black Anvil and was in... um, uh, no more black and kill your idols, all that. Uh, he was in the balcony and he took a video of me and Melani during the intermission, just walking around in the aisle and sent it to me, <laughs> which is really funny too. Oh, and Jim Jarmusch was sitting behind us again. So that was crazy. The second time that that's happened to us, which I think is also very funny, but, um, you know, it was cool. Sigur Ross were amazing. It was one of the most beautiful shows I've ever seen in my entire life. I will say though, I'm tired of going to Brooklyn. I yeah, was afraid totally. to fall asleep for a little bit because I was I was afraid I was going to wake up in Brooklyn. So um, yeah, that was that would have been whack if I ended up in more time in Brooklyn. But outside of that, we had a, a pretty busy August as far as like show going goes. Like you know what I mean? Like it was just a lot. Seeing Homefront in two times in one weekend was really fun. But it's like wow, I'm old, man. I'm getting old. Yeah. So you know that's a thing. I did see a couple movies outside of Contempt. I saw the Ninja Turtles. I saw a movie called Landscape with Invisible Hand, which I had oh, asked you to yes. go see, but you said you couldn't find it. It's 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 funny because as I've had a little bit of distance between me and that movie, part of me feels like okay, well maybe it was a little too on the nose, but I don't give a fuck. Like I still love that movie. It's a sci-fi allegory for people and how much you're worth and creative and all this other stuff. If that's anything like Brad Pitt was a producer on this movie. It's a good time. It's super fun. Aliens basically have invaded earth and uh, they've shared their technology and stuff, but they've created this power money vacuum where they're like making rich people super rich so they can live off planet on these floating communities, you know, and then the poor people live to scavenge on planet earth, you know, and it's like all the, like the stuff that gets thrown off of these floating cities and stuff. And these people build a world doing that. And, um, the story is that these aliens have given everybody these like calm link things that you wear on your head. And uh, basically what it is, is like these things are ways to learn about these alien overlords and to learn about their culture and their language and to have them be ingratiated into human society. But everybody's poor on earth. Right. So um, there's a teen couple and the, the girl is like, well, you know, you can't you don't have to just receive with these pods. You can broadcast. And one of the things that these alien overlords don't really understand is emotions and relationships between people. So her and this kid start dating and they decide to broadcast the falling in love process of their whole courtship which becomes like, you know, wildly popular and watched by all these aliens. And then they get money this way and then so on and so forth. And stuff happens after that. But it's a pretty interesting movie. And I thought it was really fun. I've seen a bunch of people panning it, but I thought it was a good time. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah you called- were like, you were like, oh, this is what I want to cover. I was like, cool. And I looked it up and it was playing all these places. And I was like, oh, this will be great. And then I went to go. And it was only playing in the city and all the places oh. in the suburbs it wasn't playing anymore. And I was like, fuck, I can't get to the city and back. Because this was during, too, when uh, Maeve wasn't even back in school yet. She was at uh. summer camp. So she was home from summer camp, like, in the morning. So I was like, uh, I don't know when I'm going to go see this movie. <laughs> I get it, man. I mean, it should be coming out on streaming sometime soon, I'm sure. Yeah, so but... I'll try to check it out. I saw, you know, I saw people who loved it, and I saw people who were what felt like unnecessarily negative about it. But mm. that kind of makes me want to see it more because there's so many. Like, if everybody was one way, then I'd be like, oh, I'll wait 
to see it. Yeah. But when I see a mixed response, it kind of makes me more curious to see it because then I'm like, okay, well, what's going on here? What's this about? It's super fun. I really, really loved it. It really resonated with me a lot specifically. So, but that movie was fun. I saw a movie called Strays with a bunch of talking dogs. You saw this movie? No, no, thank you. It's about dogs biting dicks and stuff. It's fun. And then uh, I saw another movie. Me and Milani just saw Equalizer 3. What are your oh. thoughts on the Equalizer franchise? Uh, I haven't watched a single one of them. Well, they're directed by Anton Fuqua, and they star Denzel Washington as the Equalizer, the titular character, if you will. Um, Anton Fuqua still is a filmmaker that's cursed to make these like pop movies, popcorn munchers. But these movies, I celebrate the entire canon, man. Gotta say, they're entertaining, and they're moving, and they're action-packed, and they're super fun. I am still waiting to see when Denzel's going to ascend to Morgan Freeman God status. But my man's still doing the the punching gung fu, man. He's still doing the thing. Beating up gangsters, stabbing them in the throat. It's great. Good times. So, uh... Yeah, I recommend <laughs> Equalizer 3. I do think that they should have called it the Threequalizer, but I also thought that Equalizer 2 should have been called the, called the Sequelizer, and it wasn't. So, you know, whatever. But um, that's big Hollywood for you. You know what I'm saying? But uh, outside of that, <laughs> I thought it was a really fun movie. So that's what I got. I am curious about it for sure, but I don't know. I am also very skeptical just because, like... <sighs> I there's something about later more recent Denzel Washington that I've been kind of like meh on even though I like a lot of his other movies but maybe I'm just being skeptical for no reason I just need to take a chance I don't know he's still super charming and I mean it's funny because this movie has references to a lot of like it takes place in Italy and like a seaside village there's a lot of cinema knowledge in this movie and there are references that are very specific that they couldn't be incidental in my mind you know what i mean like it couldn't be oh well that's just what it is you know like no that's a very specific reference you know what i mean like there's a scene in the movie when they're projecting a movie onto the side of a wall in like the village and it looks exactly like the ternatory cinema paradisa scene where the same thing's happening right right right. so it's like yeah man this dude has the vocabulary there and applying that to just pop movies it works i love it uh, if I'm, what I'll do is I'll watch that first one and we'll see what, we'll see how, we'll see how we'll it see goes. what shakes out. Yeah. yeah Cause I, it's just like, you know how this is with me. Sometimes I want the cheesy action. Like I'll watch a fucking Netflix action movie. Sure. I'll put it on other times. I just think that sounds like a, not a fun time. And right. so it's really like a weird mood thing. It's not like, like a John wick, which I get some people that's not their flavor. But I could put on a John Wick probably at any time, even if I'm not even going to fully pay attention to it. I could have it on and be like, cool, right? Other stuff, I, I kind of just got to be in the mood. Like, I was very much in the mood when that, uh, when uh, the, the Thor, not Thor, the movie, but the movie where the guy who plays Thor was doing crazy action movie shit in South America. I forget what that's called. Yeah, the, the sequel just came out to it. Maybe it's like Extraction or something like that. When the first one came out, I was like in the mood for that movie. I watched it. It's not great, but I enjoyed it. Sequel uh, sequels coming out looks cooler than the first one in a lot of ways. A lot more cool action. 
I just wasn't in the place. I'm like, ah, I'll get to it when I get to it. Still haven't watched it. It's been out for ah, a while. And I I'm just kind of like, man, I don't I'm just not in the mood, you know? Yeah. It's, it's weird because it's not like the first one was bad. And it's not like the trailer made this one look bad. Now, granted, I haven't heard any positive reviews of it. So maybe that <laughs> that, 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 that moves that, the needle in a direction. Yeah, but I haven't heard really that many negative either. I think a lot of people just didn't fucking watch it. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. It's That's sort of the vibe lately is like, instead of seeing a overwhelming amount of movie content the way I felt like I was seeing more when Twitter was still alive and I just saw everyone's takes on every movie ever lately. I feel like, I don't know. Like I see a lot of people talk about one movie, but there'll be a bunch of movies and I don't see anyone say anything. And granted, I'm not on letterbox like that. I'm sure I could just check letterbox, but I really only go to letterbox after I've already watched a movie just to see like what other people thought of it. I don't usually check out a movie ahead of time to see what people think unless I'm like, about to buy a ticket or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, no, I almost I a couple times I've almost gone to see a movie, looked at the letterbox of people I like and saw that they all hated it and been like, well, I'm not going to spend the money of that. I'll yeah. well, see it for free. Maybe something else said. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Speaking of movies where I don't know what your take is going to be, we're going to take a break. We're going to come right back. We're going to talk about 1987, 88. It's they say 87 in the movie. Yeah. I, did it come out in 87 or did it come out in 88? I think it came out in 87. Okay. 1987's Some Kind of Wonderful. We'll be right back. After the break. I never thought that
And we're back. And we're here to talk about 1987's Some Kind of Wonderful. It's a Liam O'Donnell comfort movie, (laughs) y'all. Again, I don't know if I would say comfort, but it's certainly one that I grew up with. Uh, This is a uh, John Hughes joint written by and produced by, directed by Howard Deutsch, who apparently also directed Pretty and Pink, which I did not know. Uh, I didn't know he had worked with John Hughes before, but I didn't know it was specifically that movie. Uh, Starring Eric Stoltz, Mary Stuart Masterson, Leah Thompson, and very importantly to me, Casey Jones himself. (laughs) 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 Fucking Elias Codius. Elias Codius. Uh, who I like in other things too, especially Fallen. He's so upsetting in Fallen. But yeah, uh, but yeah, I I knew him as Casey Jones, and I didn't see this obviously when it came out when I was eight. But I did see it like as a teen, later teenager, and was like, oh shit, this movie has has Casey Jones in it. And then here's something that's really upsetting. You ready for this little upsetting factoid? Uh huh. I am and have always been a fan of Howard the Duck, a very intense fan of Howard the Duck. And infamously, the only reason Leah Thompson is in this movie is because Howard the Duck fucking bombed. And when it bombed, she was really depressed and thought she would never act again. And that's when she found out that Howard Deutsch really wanted her for this fucking movie. Side note, they ended up getting married. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the funny thing. All these people are old. They're not actually teenagers. She Dude, was... How is that even funny? Like, the whole time... Okay, okay, okay go ahead. Sorry. So, anyways. But that was... I mean, it's the 80s. There were always old people in these movies. She was 26 at the time. Uh, and they started dating not during the filming of the movie, but afterwards, after the movie came out, they ended up hanging out, and now they've been married for whatever it is, 30 years, 35 years, I don't know how long it's been, but they've been married since since the movie came out, so I think that's really funny. But she only did the movie because Howard the Duck sucks for people. I mean, I love it, but I get that most people hate it, and she really thought Howard the Duck was going to be her step to stardom, right? So you think, because I love Howard the Duck so much, when I watch this movie, I would have known... That's Leah Thompson from Howard the Duck. Oh, no, sir. For <laughs> years, I thought this was the chick who played April O'Neil in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Wow. For years, I thought it was the same person. And it was only recently that I was like, oh, no, that's Leah Thompson. That's the woman who wants to have sex with a duck <laughs> in Howard the Duck. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just really didn't realize that I really thought this movie was some sort of weird like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like team up thing, you know, and it's not <laughs> at all. So that's silly. That's very silly of me that I thought that. Uh, before I get into more of my history with this movie, Josh, had you seen this movie before? And what did you think of it? This is my first time watch. Whoa, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, yeah, <laughs> you be honest, man. I'm not going to be offended in any way, shape or form. Did you ever see the movie The Last Starfighter? Yeah. You know when uh, the the dude is the android of the dude who goes into space and he's still like turning into a human? Okay. All right. That's what Eric Stoltz looks like to me in this entire movie. Whoa. Okay. He looks halfway between alien and person. And he looks like he got his DNA samples from uh, Tilda Swinton and uh, Conan O'Brien. And he's trying to figure out how humans work. So he's got like the orange skin and the pink lips and this quaff of red hair. It's just he just looks like he's not human. 
And then on top of all of this, he talks like he's perpetually falling out of something. What do you, okay, describe that to me. I don't know what you he mean. He just that. sounds like soft spoken for the whole movie. And you're like, Doug, what? Like, what? You know, the only time he raises his voice is when he yells at his dad, who, by the way, I love that guy for the dad. Yeah, <laughs> dude no, he's really good. He's, he's really so good. dad. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just sounds like a Joy Division record to me that isn't good. Interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, the date that Leah Thompson and him go on, she looks like she's dressed for a job interview. Well, it's 1987. I get standard. that, but it's also just like, word? <laughs> like, that you wore the good brooch for your date tonight, huh? And like, I don't know. It's like, okay, don't get it twisted. The movie is not without its charm. I really did enjoy it. But all of these like weird bits that I guess is a critique on the 80s. It's like, what? You know what I mean? Like the sister's really irritating in this movie, which I appreciated, but like there's just like, it just looked like a lesbian love story to me. Like if you told me that Eric Stoltz is like a woman that's in love with his other lady friend, Mary Stuart Masterson, who also looks like a lesbian in this whole movie. I'm like, Oh, it's a nice little lesbian triangle. Like that's what it looked like to me. Crazy pants. Crazy pants. (laughs) crazy <laughs> i'm just saying man i'm just saying movie was a good time but it also is like there's a lot of gender stuff happening in this movie that's really weird but here we go see what's fun okay i'm gonna get into my history with it in a sec but i do want to say what i think is funny about that is one of the criticisms of the movie not by roger Ebert, by the way but by gene siskel and i think other people too is that mary stewart masterson is too hot for the role a lot of people were like <laughs> This movie doesn't make any sense. Mary Stuart Masterson never comes off as a tomboy even once. That was a major criticism at the time that I still see people say that they're like, the movie doesn't work because Mary Stuart Masterson is very pretty and doesn't seem like a tomboy. I think that's a weird criticism personally. I now will I say that perhaps this movie was one of the beginnings of my crushes on tomboys. Yes. Infamously, <laughs> infamously, you, you might remember that line. John Waters has that line about how, uh, uh, the whole, you know, gender queer thing is hard for him because he realizes that his type of dude is often, uh, the same as a certain type of gender queer, you know, uh, assigned female at birth, you know? So he'd see these like women who looked like very cute boys and he was very attracted to them and it made him think that maybe he wasn't gay, you know? And I always thought that was kind of funny, but also it's not because like I, that's what, I mean, I like lots of, you know, different uh, women, but tomboys are cute and it probably is part of why <laughs> is this movie? Cause I, I've always had a crush on Mary Stuart Master in this movie. Also, Fried Green Tomatoes is the other one that I think I like a lot, too, where she also plays a tomboy, by the way, and it doesn't. My question is, why is she the only person in this movie from Staten Island? Stop, dog. She's out there talking like squonky, 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 squonky. I don't think so at all. I completely disagree with that. Yeah, no, no, no. That's exactly what's happening on film in this movie. And Eric Stoltz is like. Okay, that she's coming at him with a squonka, squonka, squonka. I was like, what is going on with these two young ladies? They should just make out. I don't think I don't think that she sounds scrocky at all. I think that's silly. (laughs) But I do think she definitely it is their friendship is a little weird. It's especially weird to me because the script is written was written for Eric Stoltz. And to me, 
in retrospect, not when I first saw it, but now watching it as an adult, uh-huh. I think he is the weakest part of the movie, which Agreed. is which is yeah. frustrating because that's how the director felt at the time. Famously, him and Eric almost got in a couple of fights because they were having a real hard time communicating. And the only reason the movie worked is because of Mary Stuart Masterson, because she was already friends with Eric Stoltz. So she was like negotiating between the two of them. And part of it apparently was that Eric Stoltz was a method actor and he felt very strongly about the decisions he was making for this character. And, you know, uh, our, our boy Deutsch just fucking, <laughs> it, he's a journeyman. He's not, he doesn't understand. Like, what do you mean? He's like in character. What the fuck does that even mean? You know, like he just doesn't <laughs> understand what's happening, you know? So, uh, anyways, I do think he's wings. I don't think it's that bad though. Like, okay, so let me back up here, y'all. For those of you who don't know, this is a movie where a gentleman is a big nerd. He's a big art nerd, and he only has one friend in the world who is this kind of like punk rock adjacent young woman who, because her hair is short, everyone thinks that she's a lesbian. Which, by the way, if that sounds monstrous to you. That's because you weren't alive in the 80s. That's just how it was in the 80s. That woman has short hair. She must not be attracted to men. And that's not the case at all. She just has short hair and wears stuff that is vaguely punk rock. And honestly, the only reason I say vaguely punk rock is because there are so many legitimately punk rock people in this movie. More than any other John Hughes movie, people in this movie look like they've actually been to a show before. Right? Like Elias Codius's character is just named Skinhead. Which doesn't make any sense because his name, his character has a name in the movie. His name is Duncan. They call him Duncan. The fucking credit just says skinhead, which but I, I read somewhere that that was a big surprise to everyone that like on set, everyone knew his character was named Duncan. So why does the thing just say skinhead? I don't get it. But Elias Codius is, which side note, uh, we'll get to this, but I just want to say now. Elias Cody's is the best part of the movie. He's fucking great. I love him in this movie. I love the character. Everything about it works for me. In fact, I find Eric Stoltz's character less annoying because him and uh, and Skinhead apparently Duncan <laughs> are friends. It's like less. So, anyways, dude's a big nerd. He gets obsessed with this girl who is kind of popular, kind of like a, like you know, sort of a proto mean girl type. But he knows that she's from the neighborhood, you know, as in many John Hughes movies, there is a economic divide, which is like a common theme or whatever. Uh, And they're in L.A. So instead of like in Breakfast Club, where the rebellious guy just looks like some sort of like proto grunge weirdo who like who, who knows who knows what kind of music that weirdo listens to this movie. There are just straight up punks like these dudes wandered in from the set of, uh, you know, the original uh, decline of Western civilization onto the fucking set of this movie. Uh, And apparently that is true of like a couple of the extras. Most of them are actors, but there were a couple guys who were like actual punk dudes. Um, But all of it feels very California, which I kind of like because that's so outside of what John Hughes usually does. Right. And it feels a little bit more real. The difference here, the differences in his other movies often feel they, well, what they feel like is real teenager differences, which aren't yeah. real differences. This movie, it's like, yeah, someone could get stabbed in this high school. <laughs> like, I could see a guy getting stabbed in this high school. Uh, anyway, so he, he, his friend, he has this friend. He doesn't really get along with the punks because he's such a like a, a soft man. He's a very soft artist man. Uh, but he ends up trying to go to detention on purpose so he can hang out with this woman that this young woman that he's so interested in. Uh, and 
it, you know, it, he, when he gets to detention, it's just all the scary people. But then, of course, he bonds with them because he's actually a good dude, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Here's the thing about the movie. As a kid, Josh, uh-huh. I was like, I'm Eric Stoltz, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm an emotional uh, person who likes some artistic stuff. Yes, technically speaking, in high school, I was more likely to be in a show with fucking Elias Codius. Like that was more my yeah. vibe. But as a person, I felt more like Eric Stoltz than fucking Elias Codius, right? Like, I'm right. more the Eric Stoltz guy. And I was more likely to have some sort of unjustified obsession, right? Uh, <laughs> but, but in reality, I didn't really think I was Eric Stoltz, right? I thought I was fucking Mary Stuart Masterson, right? <laughs> and that sort of, that sort of, complex was only fueled more in college when I discovered emo because every emo record is written by a dude who is Eric Stoltz, but thinks they're Mary Stuart Masterson. That is the definition of the night of the, of the two thousands, late nineties, two thousands Midwest influenced emo. Yeah. emo is a bunch of dudes who are Eric Stoltz, which is a guy who might be smart and might be artistic, but whose head is so far up his ass that he can't see the world that's actually around him. That's what that character is, right? But they all think they're Mary Stuart Masterson, which is the underappreciated hero of the movie, right? A real, a real uh, 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 pedigree of, of manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, you know, for sure. Real yeah, savior yeah. complex to this young lady. I, I, I'm being unfair. She's a lot. She actually has a lot more agency in this movie than the manic pixie dream girl does. Yeah, but she, she still exists ex- to be noticed. She exhibits this like horrific subservience in this entire movie, and she sells herself out, and it's such a bummer. Here's I, the thing. I get that, and now as an adult, I see that. I think for me, when I was younger. I saw in her something I understood, which is a feeling of if I punish this person who I care about because they don't see me the way I want them to see me, that feels petty. And it it would be if she was cruel about it, I guess. But really, she just needs to assert a bit more of like presence. Yeah. And a bit more of like, hey, you know, you're taking advantage of our friendship here dickhead and as much as i care about you i can't let you take advantage of me that's not fair but of course she doesn't feel that way because she's supposed to be a teenager and in that way as much as i want to criticize this for being a bit patriarchal kind of like every john hughes movie is a bit patriarchal i mean they all are kind of gross in the end uh this one also feels more than his other movies kind of real to me even if when i connected with it as a younger person it was because i saw myself as more of the victim which wasn't true and now as an adult i'm like oh i was such a shitty eric stoltz character as an actual (laughs) kid um still all these people do feel a little bit more legit to me except for the one guy the boyfriend because i get the feeling that the boyfriend so leah thompson has a boyfriend that she like suspects is cheating on her quite legitimately not even suspects because he's out he there basically making out is. With girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 well she never gets the full proof but we know that he's cheating on her in the movie she kind yeah. of just is like i don't trust this guy uh if she, i think if she had the full proof she might actually move forward with breaking up with him but that doesn't mean she would get with eric stoltz she's sort of settling for the eric stoltz character and eric stoltz what what the movie ends up making his obsession about that i think is it is right to do it, but also to then deconstruct it 
is it's about class, right? He feels disrespected in every aspect of his life by his by the world around him, by his parents, by his school, by his peers. He feels like no one sees him or understands that he's worthwhile. And so his pursuit of Leah Thompson, uh, her character rather, is about proving something to the world. Uh, what I love is in doing some of the research on this movie and whatever, one of the reasons Leah Thompson ended up taking the role was because uh, Howard Deutsch rewrote part of the script. Because in the original script, she doesn't push back on this thing as hard and she's a bit more of like a princess. So it's a bit more like she doesn't realize not just that, uh, that there's like a, a, a class thing going on. She also doesn't realize that he's using her the same way that she was being used by the other guy. Right. Yeah. But in this version of the script, she, she does. Says it. Yeah. It's, it's quite honestly the closest that any John Hughes movie has given to, has gotten to giving one of these female characters like an actual insight into gender dynamics because while all of, yeah, because while all of his movies deal with gender dynamics, they're never interested in criticizing them. They just show like girls have to deal with this and that sucks, but boys have to deal with this and that sucks and that's it. And they never get into also, these are constructs that shouldn't exist. (laughs) That's not a thing. And it's the first moment you get where Leah Thompson's like, I'm not your fucking trophy, man. Like she doesn't say that literally guys, but she does say something along those lines. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. I think it appealed to me when I was younger. Now as an adult though, the movie for me, Josh is just about Elias Codius being a badass skinhead. Can I just put that out there? <laughs> you watched a different movie than the rest of us. No, like, I mean, yeah, he, is, uh, he, he is, he is like, that this in the is movie. England, is but not. in Los Angeles in 87. I'm just saying, man, like, even if you want to say, like, he's not a true blue, whatever, who fucking cares? I don't care about that. What I care about is that as a character, he's fun. He's got attitude. The the, the roots of Casey Jones, for those of us uh-huh. who love Casey Jones with all our heart, are in this fucking, you know, uh, what this is character. his name? What is his name again? Duncan. It, Duncan. Or, yeah. I was about to say Dexter. It's not Dexter, right? I think it's Duncan. Yeah. I might have that wrong. Whatever. Point is. I like the character. And even though I think that she's not written as well as she should be, I still love Mary Stuart Masterson in this movie. I find her yeah. so charming. No, she's totally charming. I mean, she has that like iconic line. Yep. You know, and it's, I get it. You know what I mean? Like if I grew up with this movie, I definitely would have a stronger connection to it. Just the whole music of it, I think is better than pretty in pink. I, and having a drummer in the movie is pretty cool. I think the music is a lot better. It's kind of crazy, actually, that the music works so well, because I think a lot of John Hughes movies are more known for their soundtracks. But I Uh think this one's really good. Yeah, no, it's better than the Pretty in Pink soundtrack for sure. I think. I mean, I don't like the psychedelic furs like that, though. Do you you get down with that band like that? Because I never did. Yeah, I really do, actually. They're one of my favorites. But well, that's not true. They have five or six songs that are some of my favorite of the era. Uh-huh. I don't put the full record on very often. I just add yeah. some of those songs to playlists and stuff. They're not like Flock of Seagulls where I can listen to like, you know, Story See, of I'm, not a, flock, I'm from, not a Flock. I'm uh, not a Flock of Seagulls guy. They're such a wonderful band, dude. They got just, they got, you know, second rated because of like, you know, their careers as hairdressers and their pop hits. But man, the deep cuts on that band, tight. That's all I'm saying. Story of a young heart. Get into it. So I, I'm not surprised that since you didn't grow up with it, this movie is just not as 
interesting as maybe you wanted it to be. Oh, no, I didn't say it wasn't interesting. I totally found it to be very entertaining and interesting. It's just funny how it yeah. aged. You know what I well, mean? Like, yeah, I mean, dude, the boyfriend in the movie looks like his hairline's receding. Oh, so that's the other thing I didn't really get to because we got distracted by stuff. Leah Thompson has this boyfriend. The movie seems to suggest he's not in high school, right? The movie seems to suggest that, like, maybe he, like, I think by the end, we're supposed to think that he's actually a senior and they're not seniors, but he just is never at the school, right? Like, yeah, he's just walking into the ladies' locker room. Like, that's a thing. Even in the 80s, young people who weren't there, that was not allowed. He talks to girls in the hallway, but then a lot of the day he's like in his car, not going to classes, which I guess maybe is just like what seniors were supposed to do. But the vibe, like none of the teachers seem to know who the fuck he is. It almost feels like he's graduated and he just yeah, like prays. He's in college. Yeah, he just prays on these girls. That can't be right, though, because I think he has friends, but we only see him talking to these friends at the mall. So again, yeah. it's just not clear to me if this guy's at high school, which is super creepy. And I get that he's supposed to be like the rich dickhead of the movie. This is one of those movies where they really play up the dickhead to an extent where you're like, this isn't a person. You've t- yeah, this, this isn't is a human force. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Still seeing him so intimidated by a by, you know, uh, Duncan and his friends pretty into that. And, you know, uh, most of the, most of Duncan's friends, by the way, were just local high school football players. Incredible. They just were like, we just need big dudes. And then they dressed the dudes like they were somewhere between punk and suicidal tendencies, which some people might say, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah." Some people was like, well, suicidal tendencies, that's punk. It's like, well, it was, but you didn't really, if you were into suicidal tendencies, you didn't look like a, black no, flag punk yeah you like look a like a gang dude. member yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so anyways that's the crew he rolls with i love that i think that's so silly but also fun there's a lot here that i like but like any if we cover any john hughes movie inevitably it's going to be like also <laughs> john hughes's view of gender dynamics is a bit regressive yeah and even though he gets what he wants in this movie which is fucking Eric Stoltz's character finally sees Mary Stuart Masterton at the end. And for people who feel like they were this person who dedicated their lives to someone who they could never be honest with that they had a crush on, there might be some sense of validation there. But as an adult, I'm like, there's no validation in this. This guy sucks. You should kick him in the nards and he move on with your college life. money on her earrings. And like, that's supposed to be the romantic gesture of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, Which, and I and my guess is most people who actually lived the life of the Mary Stuart Masterson character would not like this movie. It's those of us who were actually Eric Stoltz's, actually people who were ignoring folks around us for stupid reasons and weren't seeing like the people in our lives that mattered when we were in high school and even in college. We're the ones who watch this movie and go, just like Mary Stuart Masterson. No, you're fucking not, man. Stop. Stop. But again, I, I can say that now because I'm 40-something and I can look at 20-something me. Like I was probably like literally 19 when I'm like writing poetry. I wrote a poem that uses this movie as a reference, by the way. Nice. Yeah. I love I, it. I don't even remember what the whole poem was. I just remember it ended by saying, just don't say I'm Mary Stuart Masterson. If you find it, that has to go in the show notes. No, I would yes, never please. share it. It's so oh, embarrassing. It's I beyond embarrassing. No, oh, no, no, I love no, no. it. Yeah, no yeah, one yeah. will ever see it if I were to find it, which I don't, I wouldn't even have a digital copy of it anymore. I would have to have it like written down somewhere. And if you think I'm going to dig through old 
college notebooks to find a poem for you, you're living in a fucking dream world. Yeah, it's a whole world curated by John Hughes, my friend. That's what I want to know. Well, and for a long time until I rewatched them, I would have told you, dude, that this was the only John Hughes movie I'd liked because I had negative memories of some of these movies. And then I went back and I was like, oh, actually, these are kind of charming, right? Yeah, dude, what? I really thought they were core. I mean, I still think Pretty in Pink is actually overrated. I think of his movies, that one is kind of a bum out. Conversely, I feel that Three O'Clock High is 100% an underrated classic. I've never seen it. Never seen it. The Casey Shamasco movie. Never seen it. Don't even know it. Don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, boy. Bro, don't know. I am with all of the members of uh, Breakfast Club. Of... uh, no, of uh, uh, our our friend show, the Broad Street Breakdown, and saying this is still probably my favorite John Hughes movie. Actually, okay, okay. So, Three O'clock High was not a John Hughes property at all, but it was part of that same like class of, uh, you know, I mean, like the same group of like those uh, Breakfast Club type characters. You know what I mean? Like, and it's a high school movie. Wait, you've never seen this movie though? I've never even heard of it. I don't even know what you're talking about. Wow. That's going to be one for another episode then, man. I mean, yeah, we are going to. I mean, don't be wrong, y'all. We're not going to just start doing uh, exclusively movies that are just like. Uh, nostalgia. Like bits. Nostalgia. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever sh- shit like that. That's not the, the goal here. But we are going to enter in between doing stuff that's a little more challenging uh I'm hoping, has a little more gravitas yeah i'm hoping to also work in three o'clock high because you need to see it uh uh some fun silly movies so he directed 16 candles and breakfast club okay 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 i didn't i straight up was like not sure oh okay well no obviously the best john hughes directed movie is ferris bueller's day off because it's just really? A classic. It's classic. Yeah, it's it's But if I was oh, and we also really enjoyed Uncle Buck when we talked about that. Oh, I love Uncle Buck. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that was a John Hughes movie too. Yeah, we'll run through right now. Curly Sue. Come on, Ah. no one one cares about that. Yeah. Uncle Buck, great. Yep. She's having a baby. Uh Ah. overrated. Don't really like it. Plane trains and automobiles still holds up, but it's not my it's not really my favorite. I love it though. It's it's one of my favorite John Candy, Steve Martin movies. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, love Weird it. Science, love it, which I loved at the time. Rewatching it, it's pretty fucked, actually. Is it? No. Rewatch it and think about it like you're not a dude, and and see how it hits you. Then The Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles. These are all the ones that he directed, right? Uh, if we go back to writer of and i think when we're looking at writer we can include stuff that like um because he wrote a lot of movies but there's a certain Mm. kind of like teen movie thing that he was doing at a certain time you know yeah that we happen to be at a certain age that that would resonate with when we were coming to it i think yeah so you know you've got obviously 16 candles at breakfast club uh he also whoa he also wrote National Lampoon's European Vacation. Ah, I love that one. Yeah. Wrote, obviously, Pretty in Pink, Some Kind of Wonderful. Uh, what did, did he do anything? No, I guess. Uh, oh, he wrote, uh, well, this isn't a team movie, but he wrote Mr. Mom. <laughs> well, Michael Keaton vehicle. Okay. That's, that's funny to me. Um, 
But yeah, so apparently, and again, I re- I read this. Actually, I think I saw someone talk about this in an interview that apparently he was unhappy that. Uh, so I guess the Andy character in Pretty in Pink, I'm trying to remember, doesn't end up with Ducky, right? No, that's what he wanted. That's what the script was. Oh, and uh, and the, he Ducky was definitely the character that was there the whole time. Mm-hmm. And the and yeah. the and the and the production the the studio was like, no fucking way. <laughs> They're like, there's there's a dude in this movie who is who is a star who is attractive, who we're we're making something out of him, and that's the one you know Andrew McCarthy. Yeah. that's who's going to get the girl right, not John Cryer. <laughs> John Cryer. I know. Oh, seriously, Jesus Christ. Uh, anyway, sorry about sorry for that whole diversion. But hey, uh, some kind of wonderful. I think it it holds up in a lot of ways, but only if you are willing to go in knowing full well that like uh, gender relations in eighties films, especially when it comes to teenagers, are a goddamn nightmare. And this is definitely a fantasy. I think for dudes who like to feel jilted right yeah who want to feel like um underappreciated and uh, girl you know uh, women uh uh you know uh our non-binary friends i don't want to be totally gendered about it but i think this kind of vibe even though in the movie it's a dude and he's ignoring a you know a young lady who he's friends with uh i think often this level of sort of like victimhood for the sake of victimhood it it seems very much like a dude vibe lately you know um and i think hopefully whoever you are whatever your uh uh gender expression or lack thereof is uh, i hope you realize that like you should only identify with mary stewart masterson if then you're willing to say and that's when she punches him in the face <laughs> and leaves him because he's a dick he's a dickhead yeah but i get it i mean i think when you're a teenager it's harder to do that right there probably are a lot of teenagers who found themselves in this situation i know i did not just as a teenager but through college but now looking back i'm like yeah but i was a dick right like i was just pining away in a way and and thinking i was like earning something by you know denying myself in a certain way and it was stupid it was very very stupid so yeah. Also, Eric Stoltz looks like an action figure that got left outside in the sun for an entire. I don't understand your vibe with. It's such a weird look, dude. Like it's wild. He looks like Jeff Goldblum in The Fly in this movie to me. I literally don't know what you're. To me, you know what he looks like to me. What Eric Stoltz? This is what Eric Stoltz looks like. That's what he looks like. He just looks like Eric Stoltz to me. When I think of Eric Stoltz' iconic roles, I think of uh, Rocky Dennis and Mask, and I think of the drug dealer in Pulp Fiction. That's it. Okay. Okay. Yep. okay. Okay. Go ahead. Say 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 whatever you're going to say, Liam, because I ain't afraid of you. I mean, okay. Mask is an okay pull, especially because it's just before this movie came out, right? Yeah, he did yeah. that right before this. But shortly after this movie came out, right? I'm just checking my facts here. That's why I'm sort of um, killing time. <laughs> Distracted. Go on. Well, yeah, because I'm looking at his list. Right. He's in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, there we go. He's Simon in the Prophecy. What are you talking about? There's only one role. I mean, yes, obviously Pulp Fiction is a bit more known, but he's Simon in the Prophecy. Come on. That's the role that people should know him for. Never seen it. 
You've never seen. I'll the, say it again the, for the people in the back. Never seen the prophecy. You know who he's reunited with in the prophecy? Christopher Walken. Elias Codius. Oh, well, there you go. Also, Vigo Mortensen plays Lucifer. You need to see this fucking movie, man. Yeah. Okay, Not just I'll, this movie. We should watch the fucking sequel, too. Man, that sounds like something for an upcoming season for Cinepunks. Yeah, okay. We'll wrap up. We're wrapping up. We're wrapping up here. <laughs> hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to me be weirdly nostalgic for a movie that <laughs> I'm straight up saying is not great. But when I, but I watched it, uh, a big chunk of it with Suze as well. And like it gives me unadulterated joy to watch it, even as I'm sitting there going, this dude fucking sucks. I mean, <laughs> let's let's be clear. Let me clear up one thing. I'm not suggesting the movie doesn't know he sucks. It, it almost makes it sound like this, he's supposed to be a hero. The movie know he knows that he sucks, but it thinks that he sucks just because he's choosing the wrong person. Leah as Thompson if, over Mary as if, as if all that matters is his choice. Like all that matters is his agency. And these other two women just need to be available for his agency, right? That's not really what should be going on in the movie. But but also he really sucks, like as a character. Yeah. But I'm less bummed on what Eric Stoltz looks like in this movie, which you think he looks like some sort of like uh, uh, malfunctioning android. Android, yes. Yeah, or, yeah mm-hmm, that's true. Or like, again, he looks like a cognate between Tilda Swinton and Conan O'Brien. Which I'm okay with. You know, that's cool. <laughs> but it's funny, too. Like, this is Melani's first time watching it as well. And we both are like, what is even happening in this movie? <laughs> but I hey, mean, you know, I get it. To be fair, cool. he was also in The Fly 2. Uh-huh. I've Probably because he looks I've like Jeff Goldblum in The never Fly 1. Yeah, yeah. It. Who saw The Fly 2? Did Cronenberg even direct it? I don't nah, know. Come on. Of course he didn't. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening to episode 180 of Cinepunks. As always, rate, review, and subscribe. And, um, you know, tell a friend. And we will talk to you a little bit later on down the road. Thanks for listening. Smoke bomb. See ya. <laughs> Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love horror business. The horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Dom. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.